0: If you've got a Bible, you can go ahead and get it ready to Mark chapter 13. We've been in a series in the Gospel of Mark since January first. I don't know if you recognize that. I hope you have. Uh, but today we finish the series in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, next week we're going to do a standalone weekend as uh, we prepare ourselves for VBS. And so we'll be walking through the main passage of scripture for our VBS week. And then we are going to start a summer series two weeks from today uh, through the, the part of first and second kings studying the life of Elijah. So if you want to be reading ahead, jump in the first and second Kings and you can get prepared for that. Now I want to do something uh, before we jump into the sermon. Uh, we are a church and uh, when, when we hurt, we hurt together and I know as much as I admire and respect so many of the people that I'm about to pray for, I know they're feeling some angst and some, uh, maybe some discouragement uh, due to the amount of rainfall uh, that we've had. And so I want to pray and ask you to pray as well for our farmers. Uh, It's a a major deal. Those of us uh, who grew up in the city have no idea uh, the stress that they're going through, Uh, but they're our brothers and our sisters in Christ. And so I want to spend just a moment as a church family. You know a farmer, I'm sure. You know somebody you're related to, a friend, someone who lives down the road from you. They're really feeling it. And so let's lift them up just for a moment, and then we'll continue. Father, you really are good even when uh, things are not good to us. And uh, right now, I know that uh, many are feeling the pressure. Um, I've heard many say they've not had to plant this late into the year and uh, the amount of rain. And it's just a discouraging thing, Um, the weight on some of the the fathers and the husbands providing for their families. Um, God, we just lift them up to you. Uh, I personally don't understand what they're feeling, but I do know that you understand And Father, you are the God who is over all of it. So we pray for good weather. We pray that you would provide. We pray that this season would be used as a moment uh, to lean heavily into their faith and to see clearly, to see anew, your faithfulness. We lift this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a picture of psychologist uh, Albert Bandura. About 50 years ago, he did a series of studies um, trying to study children who are deathly afraid of dogs, okay? Uh, I'm not one of them, but if, if he were to do one of cats, I'd be a candidate. Uh, <laughs> so he showed these kids uh, a series of videos. And so he'd sit them down, and they would watch these videos. And the kids were watching other kids on video who would approach dogs, allow the dogs to smell their hands, pet them, and, and, and have an encouraging, fun time with these dogs. And over a series of time, these kids would continually just watch what the other kids were doing. Well, then he took these kids and he put them into a very similar situation as the one that they watched on the video. And now these kids, with this in mind, had no problem walking up to these dogs, allowing the dogs to smell their hands, petting the dogs, laughing, enjoying their time. They were able to overcome their fear. His conclusion was, according to his experiment, his conclusion is that we are conditioned by what we see more than we even understand. That what we take in, what we we look at, for better or for worse, we adjust our behavior, our mannerisms, we adjust our language, we adjust uh, what we wear, how we behave around certain people based on what we see. We take our cues visually from everything that's going on around us. We consciously and subconsciously, we take fashion cues, especially when we find ourselves in a new environment. We monitor and we mirror things. Anybody with children knows this, right? Your kids are watching. More is caught than taught. And more often than not, our children let us know that they're mirroring our behavior at the most inopportune times, right? They're going to say something that they heard you say, and they happen to only remember to say that when you have guests over, right? (laughs) And so they'll say this, "Ah, you're not supposed to say that, that's what we, ah, and you you see kids do this. Now there's good parts to this and there's bad. The good is uh, kids are creative and they have imaginations and they take their cues. Take my son Luke. Uh, My son Luke is a huge Spider-Man fan. He just loves Spider-Man to the point that he will dress up in his Spider-Man costume and quite literally jump off the walls in our house Uh, all over the place. And In fact, the other night I went in, uh, I, I like to go in and just check on the kids before I go to bed, um, and I go in there, and he's laying down, and I'm like, something's weird. And so I went to tuck him in, and I recognized he had this skin-tight Spider-Man costume on top of his pajamas. I'm like, ah, I had to peel it off of him to make sure he didn't sweat to death in the middle of the night. He loves Spider-Man. It's a really good thing. And, and as cute as that is with kids, there's some negative parts to what uh, the, the psychologist branded monitoring or mirroring and modeling. The negative is many of our young people take their they're behavioral cues from pop culture, what we would call these pop icons, who are anything but a healthy example of what it means to follow God and take him seriously. And so we, we see certain fashion trends take place that are not healthy. We see kids and their relationship with their parents going south. We see parents and their relationship with their kids going south because they're taking cues from culture and they're modeling it. They're modeling these cues without processing and thinking about it. We do it subconsciously. We just kind of sleep our way through it. It's as if we're not paying attention. We're just taking these things in, and then we're modeling it for all of the people that are around us. And many of you, I think, would agree you've seen this. And if you're honest, you've probably seen it in yourself. And so the passage we're going to study today to finish this series is one that's a call for Christians all over to wake up. Stop sleeping through the routine. Stop modeling the culture and take God seriously, wake up, watch out, stay alert, be on guard. The Bible uses all kinds of phrases to continually remind us of the importance of taking God seriously in our lives. And Jesus is no different here. He's going to call us to wake up. And so we're to set us up for verses 32 to 37 that we read uh, just a few moments ago, I want to look at the context of verses 23 to 31. And it's a pretty difficult passage to read and study, but one of the reasons why I love being a part of this church, and having been able to study under, and continue to study under my father-in-law, is that we preach through books of the Bible, and when we get to the hard passages, we preach the hard passages. And this is a difficult, but yet extremely encouraging when we peel back the layers of context. And so in Mark chapter 13, Jesus has a message for us. Now, what I found interesting is this. Our world, popular Christian culture, maybe you'll agree with this, we love the first coming of Jesus. I mean, in just a few short weeks, we'll get past the 4th of July and Christmas music will start up. It's what we do. Happy 4th of July and Merry Christmas. That's the way the world is now, right? Uh, Halloween and, and Thanksgiving, those are the thing of the past. We're going right for that first coming of Jesus. We are enamored with the manger scene, with the baby, with the star, with just... And we should be. It's an incredible thing. And yet, when we begin to talk about the final coming of Jesus, it's a little scarier, doesn't it? Maybe it's because some people... Have, uh, have made it too much uh, material for popular novels. Or they take the final coming of Jesus and they use our U.S. news headlines and they read into things that aren't really there. You see, Jesus had something else in mind. And he kind of lays out the context for us, beginning in verse 23. Let's pick up there. He says this. Be on your guard. I've told you everything ahead of time, but in those days, following that distress, the sun will darken, The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels to gather his elect from the four winds from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Now learn these lessons from the fig tree. As soon as the twigs get tender and the leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you will know it is near right at the door. Truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. This is an incredibly um, action-packed, lot going on. How am I supposed to understand this? Let's skip this and get to something else that Jesus said because it's really hard to take this in. And there's a lot here. I just want to point out a couple of things. And then I want to use one of the phrases Jesus has in this short passage to create an illustration for us to better understand what he's trying to say. So if you're a note taker, this is your sweet spot in the sermon. Here comes your spot. Okay, here we go. The first thing is that this passage takes on the tone of a warning. Jesus is warning the audience, the direct audience in front of him, of something that's happening. As a matter of fact, there are 17 imperatives in Mark chapter 13. 17 imperatives. 17 times he's going to directly tell us, watch out, be on guard, you have to do this. 17 times he's trying to emphasize, you have a role to play in this. And for the audience that he's speaking to directly right here, what he's got in mind is, within that generation there was going to be, come a time where the temple in Jerusalem was going to be destroyed. Jerusalem would be destroyed. This place that had represented the very presence of God was going to be completely leveled to the ground. This is why he identifies them as this generation. He says, within this generation, within this short span of time, before this generation ends, you're going to see the destruction of Jerusalem. Now, he never intended for them to then spend their time predicting exactly when the destruction of Jerusalem would take place. That was not his goal. He did not want them to live trying to predict when it would happen. He wanted them to live in the confidence of the knowledge that it would happen. You don't know when it's going to happen, but it's coming. and You need to live a confident life knowing that this thing is coming, this time is coming. Now at the same time Jesus is pointing to the destruction of Jerusalem, he's at the very same time giving a foreshadowing of his final coming. The final coming of Jesus at the end of time. Okay? Let me illustrate for you this way. Imagine that you were looking at a far off distance at two mountain peaks. And these two mountain peaks looked very, very similar, and they looked very, very close to you. Except as you got closer to these two mountain peaks, what would you notice? You would notice that while they look very similar, they're not as close as I thought they were. There is a gap between these two mountain peaks. This is what's going on in the text right here. Jesus is pointing to the destruction of the temple, and it looks very similar. There's a lot of similar language as to when his final coming will happen. And while these look very similar, as you get closer, you recognize, though they look similar, there is a gap separating these two events, these, these two times in history. And what he's trying to say to them is, live in light of this destruction of the temple that's coming. And for his audience that we would fall into, he's saying, live in light, live in the confidence of knowing, not when Jesus is coming, but that Jesus is coming. Let me use this phrase to help us understand why any of this even matters to us this morning. In verse 26, Jesus says that he's coming through the clouds, okay? And you've heard all kinds of things about this. He says he's coming in the sky, he's coming through the clouds, clouds with power and glory, but he doesn't actually say that. Jesus doesn't say, I'm coming through the clouds. He says, I'm coming in the clouds. And on a technical term, the word he uses is better translated even with. I'm coming with the clouds. He's bringing the clouds with him. Why is this significant? Why is this even important? Why mention the clouds? Well, it goes back to the beginning of time. So here's your history lesson, friends. This is a very teach-heavy sermon this morning. I understand that, but bear with me. The encouragement is coming, I promise. <laughs> it goes back to the beginning of time, the Garden of Eden, when God created the, all that there was. He put in a garden in the midst of his creation called Eden. The Bible addresses Eden and calls it a paradise. you know why the Garden of Eden was paradise? The Garden of Eden was a paradise because it contained the very presence of God, this this perfect presence of God where no darkness, no disease, no pain and death could not exist in the very presence of God. This perfect place was perfect. It was paradise because it had God's presence in it. Well, then Adam and Eve decided to become their own lords, their own saviors. And when they did that, the Bible calls that the fall, when, when sin entered the picture, God's very presence from Eden was removed. And now this paradise began to look like the dark side of the moon, the side that doesn't get sunlight, where death and destruction and pain and suffering and tragedy began to exist in what was once a paradise with the presence of God. And why did death and destruction and pain and suffering enter the picture? Why is it still a part of the picture for us? Why? Because in that sense, the very presence of God was removed. It wasn't death and destruction for any other reason. It was paradise because his presence was there, And it was destruction and pain and suffering because His presence was taken away from there. Now, you continue reading your Bible, you begin to realize, well, this presence of God, this perfect presence that brings perfection, shows up from time to time. But it doesn't stay for very long. And when it shows up, incredible things begin to happen all around it. When God's presence comes down, incredible things happen all around with that perfect presence being in place. One of the first times it shows up is when God's people are delivered from the Exodus, There's their bondage and slavery to the Egyptians. God's presence comes down into the tabernacle, and do you remember the form or the shape that his presence took in leading the people out of their captivity? It was a cloud. The very presence of God. At night it was fire, and in the day leading the people, it was a cloud. This cloud representing the perfect presence. God leading his people you see in verse 26 Jesus is saying that within the presence of God within the presence of God this Hebrew word Shekinah the glory of God the presence the cloud of God coming to lead his people there is no pain there is no suffering there is no death there is no defeat and there is no tragedy in the presence of God as he leads his people and what Jesus is saying here this is why Uh, He mentions the cloud, he'll mention the fig tree, saying, I'm bringing the cloud. You see, in the temple, the presence of God will not reside anymore. You can only find it in me. It is in me. I am coming. And when I come back, I am bringing that cloud. That's why he mentions the fig tree. You know, in Israel in those days, there was very few trees, very few plants that would, would actually lose their leaves in the wintertime. But a fig tree would. It would lose its leaves in the wintertime, and in the spring and summer, it would blossom. And what Jesus is saying with the fig tree here is he's saying this, I'm bringing the infinite summer and spring where there will be no more winter. There will be no more pain. There will be no more suffering. When I return, I'm bringing the cloud. I'm bringing the glory of the presence of God. What he's telling us today is when I'm coming back and when I do, I'm going to overwhelm all the darkness in this world with God's very presence. You see, for both of these audiences, those that would experience the destruction of Jerusalem, and for those of us who are experiencing the difficulty of living in this world today, it was not about predicting when. It was about living confidently that he's coming. And when he comes, darkness has no chance. Death has no chance. Pain has no chance against the very presence of our God. And we know that he never intended for us to spend time speculating as to when he would come back. And we know that because of verse 32. Look at what he says. But concerning that day or that hour, when I come and I bring that cloud, that presence of God, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the son but only the Father. So because you can't know when, be on guard. Stay awake. If you do not know when, that time will come. It's like a man going on a journey. When he leaves his home, he puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. Stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight, or even when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. What I say to you, I say to all. What I say to you, this generation, I say to all people, all times, stay awake. Watch out. Be on guard. Live your life as though you know confidently he's coming, not trying to figure out when, just having the confidence that when he comes it will be his perfect time and he will bring his perfect presence. You see, Jesus' tone goes from an absolute certainty that these events are going to happen to an uncertainty as to when they're going to happen. So we shouldn't spend our time speculating as to when. I mean, he tells us not to do that. The whole point of the passage is about being, it's living this watchful life in the midst of our uncertainty as to when it's going to happen. So it's not about living in fear of when Jesus will come back. It's about living with the confidence that he will come back. Think about that. Let that set in. We're not to live lives that we're scared of Jesus is going to come back every other moment. We're to live every single day with this confidence, I know he's coming back. So nothing this enemy throws my way can crush me. Because I know at the end of the day, he's bringing the Shekinah. He's bringing the glory. He's bringing the very presence of God and darkness stands no chance. And so two things I want to give you. What is it that, how how is it that you can be a watchful person? How is it that we can live this life of this watchful expectation that Jesus is coming back? The first thing is this, we must watch out for deceit. Look, I think many of us, we get so comfortable. We get so comfortable in this life that we begin to lose sight of the one to come. We get so comfortable, we get deceived into thinking that, man, my life is good, this life is so rich, it's so incredible that maybe the second coming isn't such a good thing. Have you ever heard the phrase, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. I've heard many people say, Rob, I am, I'm really all about, I promise, I've, I've sat with multiple people, I'm all about Jesus coming back after I get married. I'm all about Jesus coming back after we have children. Jesus can come back anytime he wants as soon as I get to retire and experience retirement. Jesus can come back, man, I really want Jesus to come back after my kids are grown and I meet my grandchildren. Jesus can come back when, fill in the blank. We've been deceived into believing a lie about the final coming. Here's what I want you to know. When Jesus comes back, you will not miss out on anything in this life that is not made eternally better in his presence. When Jesus comes back, there's nothing you're experiencing in this life that will not be made eternally better because he's there, because the presence of God is among us. The perfect presence of God has got all darkness away from it. Maybe our lives are so comfortable We've lost sight of how good the second coming is going to be, the final coming of Jesus. I like the way Tim Keller says it. He says this, if your own life is too comfortable to want or desire the final coming of Jesus, just look across the world at the lives that aren't so comfortable, the ones who are in desperate need of deliverance. See, Jesus' words are meant to raise our heads and raise our hopes for justice. Yes, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus, please. Second thing that I think we need to really pay close attention to is this. We must watch out for discouragement. I don't know if you would agree with me, but this world can be a pretty discouraging place. And I've sat with a lot of families, and I've sat on the other end of their tears as they're trying to make sense of what they're walking through. Maybe you've experienced some of this discouragement. We have an enemy, friends, and he's real. And he wants nothing more than to have you sit in the weight of your own discouragement. To experience that discouragement and let it define you. He wants nothing more than that discouragement to lead you to shame. For that shame to attack your very identity. For you to lose sight of this incredible plan that he had when he created us. This garden of Eden, this paradise. He is. Nothing more in mind than destroying the thought that Jesus is coming back to give you hope. So many of you, I think, we we carry our discouragement and it it morphs into this shame that attacks who we are and we walk around with this discouragement. Many of us, it could be something we've walked through, a decision we've made. Maybe you've had a a marriage that failed and you've allowed that to define you and you feel like like I can't get past this discouragement or you've lost someone too soon that you loved dearly or you've tried your best to have success in business and at work, but every time you try, it just doesn't seem to work out. And, or maybe every single time you get around your family members, it's just so discouraging. Like, why can't we just lift each other up? Why do we always have to argue? Why is there so much name-calling? Or maybe there's an addiction or something that you're drawn to, and you want nothing more than to be freed from that addiction, but it just keeps seeming to get the best of you, and all you can do is sit in this discouragement. Maybe you've been there. I have a strong feeling everybody in the room can resonate with what I'm saying. This world can be very discouraging. And Jesus' message for us is, in the midst of it all, watch out. Look up. Look up. He's bringing the cloud. The very presence of God is coming. Let it be the source of confidence to face that discouragement. To trust in his promise. Louisa Stead understands how hard what I'm talking about can be. She was on vacation with her family, her husband and their little daughter, Lily, out at the beach. It's a true story. And as they're relaxing out at the beach, enjoying their time, they notice that there's a small uh, boy out in the water, and he is struggling hard, and he's drowning. And so Mr. Stead, he gets up, and he goes running into the water, and he's going to try to save this kid. And the water is strong, and the boy is delusional and losing his mind and he's thrashing out and he tries to save him. He tries to hold him up and she's watching from the shore with her little girls her husband's trying so hard to keep this kid above water but the water was so strong and the boy was thrashing out so hard that before long they lost their strength and they both went under and lost their lives and she watched this tragedy happened now she's not only lost her husband she's gotta go on and raise this little girl all by herself and she's just broken how do I get through this the way she got through it is a few years later, after processing, she sat down and wrote a song, a song whose lyrics can meet you in your place of discouragement. Many of you will be familiar with it as I try my best to read through it. She wrote these words, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. just to take him at his word, to rest upon his promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him over and over. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace, to trust him more. This world can be discouraging. On your most difficult day, in the middle of your most tragic season, look up. Look up and remember this promise that we can trust. He's coming, and he's bringing light. And death will not remain, pain will not remain. Suffering will not remain and discouragement will not remain. Find your confidence and your comfort in the very presence of God. Live this confidence to know that it really is sweet to trust in the promise of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, our hearts are so easily deceived. They really are. We can believe lies about ourselves. We can, we can follow lies that our culture tells us will lead us to happiness. And we're just deceived. We have an enemy, and he is a master at deceiving us. God, we can also get discouraged. We can find great discouragement all around us through our experiences, our difficulties. And yet there's this promise. There's this incredible promise, this truth. That You're coming. You're coming. And we don't need to know when because we know you're coming. And like every other promise you've made, Father, you have kept your word. And we can put all of our trust in your word. It promises us you're coming. And when you come, there'll be no more darkness, not in our hearts, not in our lives, not in our families, not in our worlds, not in our marriages. The darkness will be gone. There'll be no more death, no more having to miss people. My prayer for everyone here today, God. Is give us that hope. Remind us of how sweet it is to trust Jesus. We pray for this in His name. We're going to use this last.